The following podcast contains adult language, adult content, mentions of rape, incest, and child sacrifice. It's in the book. It's in the book. Hello, and welcome to It's in the Book, a queer Bible podcast. I'm Jay Sylvan, they, them, there. I am a religious professional, and I know the Bible pretty well. I'm David Waters, he, him, his, uh, also a religious professional who knows the Bible relatively well. I'm Sue Buzzard, she, her, hers, and I do not, I am not a religious professional, and I know the hits from the Bible, and that's it. And Sue is my wife. Yeah, that too. Uh, mm. and <laughs> David and I are going to tell a story from the Bible and talk about it and give you a little bit of the backstory. And Sue is going to react to it. And be regaled. And be regaled. Yes. Uh, thank you so much for joining us for this last episode of season one of It's in the Book. As woo. I'm, yeah, we, made woo, it. we did what it. an accomplishment. We've done a thing. Yes. We put a thing in the world during a pandemic. And we need to take the summer off because as I said last time in our little special enunciation episode, Sue and I are going to be having a baby. Yay. Yeah, baby. this Yay. summer. And so we need some time off. David is going to be working in a hospital this summer. It's going to be very busy. We all need a break. Yeah. And we need to prepare to come back and do the rest of the book of Genesis and perhaps mm. more next season, because we're really only about halfway through the book of Genesis right now. <laughs> I can't believe The nice so thing much. about doing a Bible podcast is you can really keep yourself employed because, uh, yeah, there's a lot yeah. of cover here. <laughs> yeah, especially if we ever make money from this. Yeah, I, as soon as the word <laughs> came out of my mouth, I was like, mm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. That's a choice yeah. of words. Go to my and... Patreon. Yeah. Go to patreon.com slash J Sylvan and you can you can help us supplement help some of us this. Be employed in yeah, a exactly. Monetary <laughs> sense in a monetary a sense. Love of it. Previously in the Bible. So last time we had Sodom and Gomorrah who were destroyed by God because they were all fuckos and mm -hmm. they were basically xenophobic assholes who were also rapists. And so yeah. God was like, I'm going to rain fire and brimstone down on these cities. These two terrible towns of, mm. of rapists. Yeah. It's awful. Uh, so Abraham's uh, family member, nephew, Lot, uh, is in Sodom and Gomorrah at the time he escapes these angels help him escape and Lot ends up in a cave in the woods with his two daughters mm -hmm. who previously he had offered up to these awful people in Sodom and Gomorrah to be raped the daughters end up I guess thinking that nobody else has survived or something they think they're the only people left in the world or something they end up yeah, getting maybe. their father uh, that's what they say, yeah. say. Uh, they end up getting their father drunk and uh, raping him and each giving birth. Uh, and we have the lines uh, of enemies of Israel, including the Moabites, who come out of those um, unions, mm -hmm. I guess. Uh, then after that, we have Sister Wife 2, Electric Boogaloo, <laughs> where, <laughs> where uh, Abraham and Sarah are 
traveling and uh, this time it's Abimelech instead of uh, the Pharaoh from Egypt. Abimelech is like, oh my God, you're hot, Sarah. And Abraham's like, oh, she's not my sister. She's my wife. Mm. And there's a whole huge Whoa. misunderstanding, <laughs> but this is a lot nicer of a story. And uh, Abimelech gets blessed at the end. That's and great. all of the women in his household spontaneously give birth because God is happy with Abimelech for how he behaved and he did not uh, sleep with Sarah, I guess. Mm -hmm. Also somewhere in there, Lot's wife turned into a pillar of salt. But... Yeah, Lot's mm, wife turns yes. into a pillar of salt. And here we are, finally, at long last, this is a great finale because this is the only thing Sue knew about- <laughs> So excited, About guys. Abraham. I cannot wait. I At long pumped. last, we've arrived. <laughs> you can't see me. I'm gripping the she is uh, gripping arms of my the chair. Arms of her chair. Mm. The binding of Isaac. Yes. <laughs> wow. Okay. It's funny because it's such a fraud story, and we're oh, so it's so problematic. It's so, like, um, so but I'm like, finally, something I know. Sue, mm. what do you know about it? I know that God tells Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac to like I don't know prove prove his loyalty or something like that you know blah 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 and Abraham like basically goes through like every step of the way and then at the very last minute God's like okay no JK no 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 don't 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 actually kill him you don't have to kill him I just wanted to be sure that that you would do it so good job you passed the test yay applause and Abraham's like all right that, that's what I know. That's my interpretation of the story and what I remember is what happened. That's actually pretty good. Um, what do you make of that? I, don't, I feel like I took from that story, like, um, I'm really uncomfortable with how God, in my eyes, like manipulated Abraham to see how far his loyalty would go to have Abraham kind of prove his devotion to God to do something so you know upsetting and and twisted uh you know but in in the story they, abraham doesn't seem to be cut up about it he's just like okay cool you know like god gave me everything and i'm gonna do anything and everything that god says because i am his servant so i kind of see that as like when serving god goes too far <laughs> mm. <laughs> well you're not gonna like this at all, but <laughs> well, let's let's do it. Well, let's let's get into this because before we get to the binding of Isaac, we actually have uh, the birth of Isaac. Oh yeah, right. Mm -hmm. We have not seen Isaac born yet. Now Isaac will be born. So it says the Lord kept His promise to Sarah, and she had a son when Abraham was 100, and Abraham named him Isaac, which remember means he laughs. And he circumcised him at eight days, which was the deal. Remember? No, I, I know. I remember. Yeah. I just I just didn't think they'd just say it. Sarah is like, wow, I never thought I'd have babies, but I did. This is hilarious. And she laughs. Ha ha ha. Get it, Isaac. There's like a ton of laughing puns <laughs> in this. The continuation of the puns in the book. Like, so many puns. Uh, you know, they really they really grind it in in here. And Abraham holds uh, a rager the night Isaac is weaned. Uh, he just holds this huge drinking party. But then it says Sarah sees the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had born. So in this story, he doesn't have a name. Uh, Ishmael is not named. Mm -hmm. uh, but she sees the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had born. And he's 
Isaacing. He's laughing. And there are many different interpretations about what's actually happening there. It doesn't actually say he's there with Isaac, but the fact that the word for laughing is Isaac, people think that maybe he's like making fun of Isaac or something. So I've, I've also heard that it could be even more sinister, like he's abusing him in some way. Uh, but that's not really in the text as it's written. And Sarah is like, banish that slave woman and her son. I don't want him sharing the inheritance with my son, Isaac. So remember how there's all these doubled stories. This yeah. is sort of a doubled story of Hagar in the wilderness before. So Sarah's like, uh, get rid of her, get rid of her son. And Abraham isn't happy about this because Hagar's son is also his son. Yeah, that's right? how that happened. And he's actually his firstborn son, really. Yeah. But God's like... Don't worry, just do what Sarah says because your seed will be continued through Isaac. And as for the son of the enslaved woman, I will make him a nation too because he's also your seed. So don't worry about the kid, do whatever. So early the next morning, Abraham gives her a skin of water and some bread and puts them and the child over her shoulder and he kicks them out and they wander around in the wilderness of Beersheba. So again, the time is weird here because in the last story, uh, before Isaac was even born, Ishmael was like at least 13 because he got circumcised when he was 13. Oh, yeah. And here the kid is like clearly a toddler, but <laughs> doesn't matter, whatever. Time is, it's a different timeline, right? So when all the water was gone from the skin, she left the child under a bush and sat down a bow shot away saying, let me not watch the child die. And she raised her voice and cried. And God heard the cry of the boy and an angel of God called to Hagar from the heaven and said, what's up, Hagar? Don't be afraid. God heard the cry of the boy where he is. So even though Ishmael isn't named here, there's this idea of God hearing him. Remember, oh, it, yeah. it means the Lord hears. Um, and so the angel says, go pick him up. I'm going to make him a great nation. And then it says that God opens her eyes and she sees a well of water and they're saved. Ooh. So it's similar to the last Hagar in the wilderness story, right? But it's a little different. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's also super, super alluding to later in the book of Exodus, Moses in the desert. Oh, yeah. Okay. Remember, there's a ton of, uh, there's a ton of uh, Abraham alluding to Moses. There's a ton of Hagar alluding to Moses. Very cool. So that's something to keep in mind. I like that miracle too, by the way, of like, here's a well. Yep. You're saved. Mm. It's, it's fine. So it says that God was with the boy as he grew up and he stayed in the wilderness and became an archer. And his mother got him a wife from the land of Egypt. So she's reclaiming her Egyptian heritage. Cool. Let's say. Uh, so kind of a happy ending there for Hagar and Ishmael. I like that. Way to go. Yep. And that's a series wrap on Hagar and Ishmael. Well, yeah, on those individuals, the Hagarites and the Ishmaelites actually come back later. Cool. But um, And they lived happily ever after. And they maybe. lived happily ever after. Great. Moving on. In the little prayer that I did uh, before my sermon for this weekend, I paired Sarah and Hagar because I think that's a kind of a natural thing to do, right? And the juxtaposition was God who responded to the laughter, the disbeliefing, the disbeliefing laughter of, you know, Sarah, and also the anguished cry of Hagar, right? Um, so that I think there's a neat kind of um, 
symmetry there, right? Between Sarah who laughs, right? First in disbelief and then in joy um, and Hagar who cries out and that both are sort of heard, right? By God. If, if Abraham is sort of the platonic ideal of faithfulness, right? I think we often lose sight of the way that Hagar is as well, you know, that. Yeah. Yeah. So. And Hagar, I think, is is so, so closely mirrored with Abraham. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. uh, I, I think it's it's meant to be like that. And I think it's mm-hmm. worth noting and thinking about for yeah. a long time. Yeah. So that was one Beersheba uh, story. So the the place is Beersheba. And then we'll have another one, which is pretty boring. So we're going to gloss over it. But Abimelech's back. Um, I'm glossing over it right now. Abimelech's back and he has a misunderstanding with Abraham over the well in Beersheba, same place. So I guess the well in Beersheba was a big deal, right? Because there's two stories about this well in Beersheba. And when they made up, when when Abimelech and Abraham made up, they swore an oath with one another. And Beersheba means make an oath sort of. So it's like an etiology. Uh, And then Abraham plants a tree and calls on the name of the Lord and we love it and it's good stuff. Anyway, okay, Binding of Isaac. <laughs> Woo! Tie up that kid to that. Oh God! <laughs> okay. Oh, <boy>. Yikes! <laughs> All right. So after these things, God tested Abraham, and He said to him, "Abraham." And Abraham said, "Hineni." Like there. Oh, here I am. That's how they translated a lot now yeah. these days. It kind of means like, "Behold me. Check me out." Look, I'm look, so here I am. Like, I don't know. Like, if it's here I am, it's 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 almost like voila. Ah, me. voila. Like, yeah, I don't know. And he said, take your son, your favorite, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moria and offer him there as a whole burnt offering on one of the heights that I will point you to. And so a lot of the language right here mirrors at the very beginning of Abraham's story when God first told him to go to Canaan. So it's almost oh, like yeah. like if it were a poem in English, maybe it would rhyme with that, right? Like that's how similar the language is. Yeah, I'm remembering some of that. We're going to go in a little digression here about child sacrifice in the ancient world. <laughs> Great context. And, uh, and, and just sacrifice in general. Honey, do you know what a whole burnt offering is? No. Can you guess? Is it where you take the thing and you burn all of it and you offer the whole thing and not just part of it? Yeah. So like there's different types of sacrifices um, of animals and what have you. And some like for a lot of festivals, I mean, meat is expensive. It's a big deal to kill an animal Mm -hmm. in the ancient world. Right. So Uh, it's like, oh, a whole burnt offering, big spender. Like, well, sort of parts. Yeah. Because usually like what you see a lot are instructions for, you know, for festivals and when you do kill an animal, you're supposed to take it to the temple, like not even for a festival, like it, it's, it's treated se- severely or seriously when you kill an animal and you're supposed to take it to the temple and give part of it to God yeah, and yeah, have yeah, it yeah, blessed yeah. or whatever. And then you can take it back and eat it. Mm-hmm. And on festivals and stuff, you always give part of the animal to God and then take it back and eat it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a whole burnt offering is, as you said, as it sounds like, where you just fucking burn that shit to a crisp and you give it all to God. Mm. No, no eating that later. That's right. Uh, and so that this is what God is asking of Abraham mm-hmm. to do to Isaac, to just burn him all the way up. Ugh. You know, we don't have a ton of stuff from that, that time period. And I don't, I'm not an expert on this by any means, but there is some evidence that 
people used to sacrifice children to deities uh thousands of years ago Ugh. in the the you know mesopotamia area uncomfortable right <laughs> and we actually see some evidence of that in the bible here for one but we also uh see in second kings 3 26 through 27 there's this story where the king of moab so remember the moabites are uh bad from that their line. enemy lines the king of moab is kind of losing a battle with the israelites and so he sacrifices his firstborn son as a burnt offering to his god uh during a war and it works actually and and israel is actually pushed back so this burnt offering that he got, gives of his son to his god um is effective that's great um so it's like okay sure that's moabites that's a different god you see in the book of Judges, Jephthah kills, well, he sacrifices his firstborn daughter um, to God, actually, mm. and he just straight up does it. And so in the book of Exodus, uh, there's actually um, a commandment <laughs> that says, you shall give me the firstborn among your sons. You shall also do the same with your cattle and your flock. Seven days it shall remain with its mother. On the eighth day, you shall give it to me. Mm. We'll see that this has been problematic for readers of the Bible for a long time, even when they were still writing the Bible. Mm. But it is in there, mm -hmm. right? One thing I want to put out there is ancient laws were not intended to be followed the same way that modern laws are. People didn't think of laws in the same way that they do now. Okay. So we, when we have a law on a law book or something, we are supposed to actually follow the letter. The law is it's for those specific situations. And we're supposed to dole out exactly that punishment for that specific crime. Mm -hmm. Right. So like if the law is like, if you, I, I don't know, steal somebody's car and it's worth this amount of money, you get X amount of time in jail, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, basically. And so then if somebody goes and steals this person's car and it's worth that amount of money, the judge will be like, well, it says in the law book that this is what you should get. So I'm gonna do that mm -hmm. to you and you have to go to jail for that amount of time. This is what I've learned, what I've heard, what I've, what I've read, what historians think is that in the ancient world, the laws were more like guidelines mm -hmm. where these, a lot of these things weren't expected to be followed most of the time by most people exactly. A, a lot of them were more like ideals. So like maybe the ideal was you'd sacrifice your first child to, to the God or whatever, but most of the time people don't want to do that. So the idea is you could maybe sacrifice an animal instead, or you could make a donation instead to sort of ransom this kid or just sort of like give thanks to God or, you know, or say like, mm. well, symbolically, this child belongs to God or something like that. Mm -hmm. Cool. Right? All right. What you make me think of is when you first said, um, you'll give a child to me, right? Automatically, my mind thinks of, you know, when families used to have lots of killed children and what, you know, or even, but there was this rule like, okay, one son for the army, one son for the land, one son for the church, right? You know, um, so that people start to think of these things, or I think what you're describing is a relationship to the law where uh, it's incumbent upon the citizen or, you know, whoever is subject to the law to think maybe more metaphorically about what the law means, right? It, it's yeah. more open, there's more work of interpretation on the part of the person who's subject to the law. 
Yeah, I, I think that that was definitely true. I mean, you you see it, well, a, a lot of the laws that are in the Bible, for instance, I mean, there's stuff like, you know, women or people who menstruate are not supposed to be working for like mm. two two weeks out of the month. And like, do we mm. really think that like poor women were not working to like half of the time? Like, no, that's not realistic. No. So I, I'm borrowing heavily uh from a book called The Death and Resurrection of the Beloved Son by John D. Levinson. Hmm. Uh, that's one of the things I read for this episode. Um, and he argues that there, but there was actual literal child sacrifice hmm. as well. <laughs> um, if you go far back in, um, even in the religion of ancient Israel. And, and he says like, for instance, the binding of Isaac story is probably a remnant of that. He thinks that uh, that Exodus 22, 28, what we talked about, um, that law about giving me your son is probably a remnant of that. And, you know, you can see even the biblical writers later on wrestling with this because in Ezekiel uh, 25 through 26, it says, uh, this is God speaking here. Uh, God says, I gave them laws that were not good and rules by which they could not live. When they set aside every first issue of the womb, I defiled them by their very gifts so that I might render them desolate and that they might know I am the Lord. So in that version, God is actually regretting making that mm. rule. So one of the things I love about this is that it shows that even when the Bible is being written, there's this idea that God's commands are not permanent and that context matters and our interpretations can change over time. Love it. Mm. I just mm. wanted to um, quickly refer back to take, pray, your son. So in the, the altar translation, right, when uh, you used favorite son, right? And yeah. so altar mentions that that's one translation, but also it, it he translated it as only son. I think there's a, I don't have the, you know, so it is it's like yeah it's it's only and but then it says the only one that you love so the line that i have here is take pray your son your only one whom you love isaac and go forth to the land of moriah and offer him up right and so what alter says is there's a classic midrash uh followed by rashi that sort of catches the resonance of these terms and of their order so rashi says your son. So God says, your son. And Abraham says to him, I have two sons. And so God says, you're only one. And Abraham says, this is the only one to his mother. And this one is the only one to his other, his mother. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and then, so God says, whom you love. Right. And Abraham says, I love both of them. And so God <sighs> finally says, Isaac. Which one? Life. I have two. Right. Oh, son of a oh, fine. But it's Jesus. it's just this interesting. Of course, none of those lines from Abraham are named in the in the book itself, right? But mm -hmm. for the rabbis, it's like teasing out what could account for this particular language. And yeah. also that in imagining that conversation, right, you really bring to the fore the pathos of what is happening here, you know, mm -hmm. um, and how just how much of a sacrifice this would really be, you know? Yeah. So God tells Abraham to burn up his son whole. And just like he did at the very beginning of the story, when God told him to pack up and move to Canaan, Abraham obeys. Mm -hmm. So early the next morning, Abraham splits the wood for the burnt offering. He saddles up his donkey and he takes two servants and his son, Isaac, to go where God told him to go. 
Okay. And they get to the place and Abraham says to his servants, you stay here with the donkey. Isaac and I are going to go up and worship and then we'll come right back. And so Abraham puts the wood for the offering on Isaac and he takes the fire and the knife and the word for knife is like the consuming thing, the eating thing or something. Um, and he takes those in his hands and they walk together as one. My eyebrows are very high right now. Yes, yeah, Susan. 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 Like, and then Isaac is like, um, dad. And <laughs> Abraham is like, yes, my son. And Isaac is like, we have the fire and the wood, but where's the sheep? and oh god it's not funny but and, and <laughs> it's, it's not it's i kind of love how they put that in there like <laughs> um oh, and then Lord. abraham's like god will take care of it and then it said and they walk together as one so either isaac knows what's up now or not like mm -hmm. either he's and there's different interpretations of how old isaac is at this point some say he's like 25 and he totally knows what's going on and he's like fine if god wants this, this i'm i'm into it i consent whatever mm -hmm. uh some people are like no he's like six like mm -hmm. you know or whatever uh and he doesn't really know what's going on so um disturbing either way less disturbing if he's 25 and is consenting to this yes absolutely to, to us as moderns yeah, right yeah, yeah. So they get to the place God had told him and Abraham builds an altar and he binds Isaac and he puts him on the wood on the altar. And Abraham picks up the knife to slaughter his son. Yep. But an angel of the Lord calls out from the heavens. No. Abraham. And Abraham says, Hineni. Yeah. <laughs> And the and he says, don't raise your hand to the kid or do anything to him. For now, I know you fear the Lord since you have not withheld your son. And Abraham raises his eyes and sees a ram with its horns caught in a bush. And he sacrifices the ram in place of his son. Oh, yeah. Cool. So remember how I said, like, in practice, a lot of times people would sacrifice animals instead of their children or whatever mm. that this could be related to that i don't know but so he sacrifices the ram in in place of the the kid but then abraham names the site adonai yire the lord sees uh, and then an angel calls to abraham a second time and he says because you have not withheld your son from me your descendants shall be as numerous as the stars in the heaven and the sands of the seashore so those are remember he's had several promises before and this is like combining both of them like the stars in the sky sands on the seashore that is how numerous your mm -hmm. descendants will be and they will seize the gates of their enemies and all the world will be blessed through your descendants because you've obeyed my command so mm -hmm. i am so happy that you were ready to kill your son for me it means a lot to me yeah so much that really i moved. i'm gonna bless the fuck out of you and then abraham goes back to the servants and they go to Beersheba and he stays in Beersheba and then there is another little post credit scene oh, <laughs> so like Abraham's chilling in Beersheba and he gets word that his brother and sister-in-law have had children and it says then that one of his brother's children has had a child and her name is Rebecca oh 
fade to black. <laughs> you see a, a sh- yeah. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, exactly. Credits roll. For the sequel. Yeah, exactly. For the for the Bible cinematic universe. <laughs> I kind of would love to see these trailers. <laughs> the post-credit. So here again, we have Abraham almost losing his son, juxtaposed with Hagar almost losing hers, right? Both their firstborn sons, both times an angel of the Lord calls out from heaven and saves the, saves the kid, mm-hmm. right? So this is just another place where Hagar is sort of mirrored with Abraham. Mm-hmm. And once again, also, Hagar is like right in the middle of the Isaac story and mm-hmm. the Abraham story, right? Because here mm-hmm. Isaac is born and everyone's excited mm-hmm. and then there's the Hagar story and then it's the binding of Isaac so just like mm-hmm. before when it was the two promise to Abraham Abrahamic covenant stories Hagar was right in the middle that's right. I think that's really interesting it's a lot of mirroring in yeah the structure what does it mean yeah <laughs> <laughs> and I do want to say uh, the death and resurrection of the beloved son is also really interesting because it mentions how much the the idea of jesus as like the sacrificed firstborn son really takes from from this uh foundation of this idea of the sacrifice of the beloved son who is this god who would demand this of abraham rabbi Sachs wrestles with that question and says we are a people who were enslaved so as to realize the value of freedom right we are a people mm-hmm. who um tell this story or experience um you know the loss of children to realize the the sacredness of children right um okay you know and it's it's sort of up to us to say okay does that really resonate you know how does this how does this fit in with a god who is love so i'm intrigued by that right i'm intrigued by Um, the really difficult questions that we have to grapple with in these early stories. As we progress, we'll see um, different visions of this God, right? We'll be made to see different versions of this God. We'll be made to hear different versions of this God speaking um, and saying different things uh, and some really difficult things. Yeah. And I think it's, it's interesting as moderns, right? To notice when we read something that is two or 3,000 years old mm. um, to notice what make like what has not changed mm-hmm. and to notice <laughs> what feels very alien to us, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and so many things in this book to me are like, oh my God, people haven't changed. Like that, mm-hmm. you know, I, I mm-hmm. feel that I see, I know what he was thinking. Like people still do that, whatever. Um, but then you see something like this and you're like, holy shit, I can't imagine Mm -hmm. what world (laughs) this would be where this would be a reasonable thing for Mm. a God to ask of somebody, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. I wonder one thing, like, is it reasonable? Is it meant to be reasonable or is Abraham the person who is like so over the top in his devotion that he does not even question this? ask of god well i mean he gets rewarded for it and the, and god is like because you have done this and not withheld your son from me i'm gonna bless you yeah like I, when i first read this i was like there has to be a way in which abraham is the bad guy here you know mm-hmm. and this is like some mm-hmm. zealotry shit right and yeah. secretly yeah. like it's a bad thing but i don't think that that's actually the case mm. uh like I, it was really hard for me to like wrap my head around this and i think it's because we're not 
used to actually thinking historically about these things and, you know, really, and I think part of that is a failure of the way the Bible is taught hmm. generally and the way it's um, spoken about, uh, you know, I mean, the Bible is something that was written over the course of a thousand years yeah. and then it was sort of frozen in time. And now 2000 years later, people are like, this is still, you know, the way things should be. And you should still read it mm -hmm. without that context of, oh, right. By the way, this was written 3000 years ago. And a lot of things were super different. Yeah. I came across a thing. Apparently um, it's Kierkegaard's birthday or the anniversary. And one of the things he said, one of the tidbits that they offered was Kierkegaard was like, you know what, this whole business of theology and all this, like, you know, Christian study, it's a racket. You know, he's like, <laughs> any person like you don't need to be a theologian to read the Bible and figure out what it says. Right. And the reason why, you know, the church has come up with all this theology and all this, you know, so-called Christian education mm -hmm. is to keep the Bible, keep these stories at a safe enough remove that we can continue to live our lives <laughs> without having to turn them upside down to accommodate what this Bible is telling us, right? And I thought, okay, Sorn, I'm gonna like sit with that for a little while. Now, yes, I think absolutely, like obviously I think there's a place for biblical study. You know, uh, I'm not advocating that we all just go it alone, but there is that, I think it's, interesting to ponder that question right because at the core of this story what you have is a guy in such some a kind of relationship with God where when God says sacrifice your only son whom you love Isaac he's like okay where do I go right how far away from that is God says to this dude, you know what? Uh, pack up all your shit and leave your house, leave the land that you were born in, leave everything behind and go. And you know what? I'm not going to tell you where you're going. Just go and you'll find out when you get there, right? So it's, if, you know, earlier we talked about the laws and how it was a little different and how they kind of were meant to perhaps uh, illustrate an ideal, is this an ideal that's being illustrated? And then, you know, from a, a sort of pastoral or a homiletical perspective, right? Oh boy, is this like <laughs> yeah. something we're supposed to live into or what, right. you know? And so it's just interesting to sit with that for a little while and be like, what, you know, if we revere Abraham as a hero, what level of like life upside down upending would we need to do to make that happen? And do we want to make that happen? Right. Well, and also, I mean, one thing that occurs to me all too is we, we do sacrifice our children, right? I mean, the United States continues to sacrifice children to guns, mm -hmm. right. To, to this mm -hmm. idea of, of, whatever the second amendment or what have you uh in a very literal sense mm -hmm. um you know i mean we we might not say it's for a god but we do these things i mean 
people sacrifice their relationships with family members because of differences of ideology because mm -hmm. i'm a democrat and you're a, a republican or whatever mm -hmm. or because you know you're gay or whatever you know mm -hmm. um and, and that's a moral you know abstract thing mm -hmm. so i mean yeah and in fact when you first said we sacrifice our children i thought about those you know folks who are sacrificing their children on the altar of uh, achievement right yeah so how many yeah. you know parents are saying how many of these kids like i can't get people to come to a church event on sunday why because they're skating or they're you know right, right? like there's so they the can get a scholarship and the clubs look, and the yeah. deals and these things start so early right in a way, that's, you know, that is a sacrifice, but it's on this altar of achievement. And why do they need to achieve well to reflect well on us? Sue, mm. wrap it up. What do you remember? Uh, so um, Isaac's born. Woo. Abraham <laughs> has a rager. Yeah. Um, Agar and her son are there. And Sarah's like, I don't want them there. Kick him out. Um, and in the desert, an angel uh, says, don't worry, he's going to be fine. To the two of them after they get kicked out and then uh, abraham uh hears from god and is like yo um take a kid to this place and do get, burn him up and give him to me and abraham's like okay and he gets hmm. all the way there and he's just about to stab him when an angel comes down and says nope don't do that you're fine way to show your devotion and loyalty to to god and also show that you I remember way to show that you fear God and I'm like oh okay oh wow I didn't know it was about fearing God interesting uh and then Abraham looks up sees a ram sacrifices the ram instead and Isaac lives Woo! that's what I remember yeah and how do you feel about it I mean the story followed basically what I you know had learned later about Abraham and Isaac uh, you know, when I was real little, I learned that Abraham sacrificed his son. And then I learned that, like, no, 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 no. He got just to the point where he was about to sacrifice his son. And then God said he didn't have to do it. Um, so, you know, seeing that I was basically, like, in line with that story, I'm like, great, I know stuff. Um, but, you know, the talk about, I, I remember thinking, like, that story is outrageous. It's like, mm. why is this in here? This supports this you know, you used the word earlier, Jay, of like zealotry, you know, mm. is like, I'm like, there's gotta, you know, when you were like, there's gotta be a way that Abraham has made the bad guy here because this is too far. And then, mm. you know, he gets up just to the point of, you know, murdering his son and like, that's good. And everything has, you know, that he does is rewarded and approved and God's like, great job. And that kind of gets me really mad because, mm. you know, in simplest terms, I think that it can reinforce and embolden, you know, people who are zealots and people who take things too far because they see this as an example of like, yes, you need to do everything that God says the way that you think, because then you'll be rewarded. And I'm like, no, 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 that can't, uh, no, <laughs> just look at our world today. It's not just about following instructions. And I'm like, no, it, it must've been different. You can't just take that and put it in today's world and say it works exactly the same way. There's gotta be something that we get from this, you know, that is that is more than just what we're reading, that more than meets the eye, more about like, you know, our relationship 
connect with God. You know, like we talk a lot, we've talked a lot about meeting making in, in this series, mm. this whole season. And I'm like, yeah, you know, if it's about meaning making for our lives now, what meaning can we take from this? Like, this is a big challenge for me. You know, mm. I'm like, what, what, what do, what good do we get from this? How is this going to help us do good in our lives for ourselves and other people in the world to make the world a better place? Yeah. I empathize with that, Sue. I think the danger, right, is that meaning making becomes explaining away. So, mm-hmm. uh, uh, right, that so a lot of times if I when I come up against a thorny thing, yes, I'm going to try to think through, of course, like, how does this apply to my life? But we also take that moment to just abide in the difficulty. I think that's important, too. When you look at these figures, the question that occurs to me is, how do they make these sacrifices, right? Like if you think about the prophets, right? You know, you think about, I don't, I mean, a lot of them we haven't come to yet, right? But if you think about what takes an Abraham up this mountain to sacrifice his son. And one of my provisional answers is that these people, by virtue of perhaps prayer, perhaps devotion, perhaps, you know, just being inexplicably favored, you know, uh, among, among the people, have the type of relationship with God that makes them trust in the abundance that is promised them, right? Yeah. Um, and so for Abraham, that trust means that he goes up the mountain knowing that however this is going to work out, um, mm-hmm. it's going to be okay, right? That trust mm-hmm. is like, all right, I'm going to go to this town and do your will and trust that it's going to be okay. I don't know. Is that satisfying? Not all the time. Maybe not even most of the time, right? I, I, another way that I expected the Bible to be just because of how it's talked about in sort of pop Christianity or like pop secular American Christianity is... I wanted everything to have a clearly understandable, feel-good moral, mm. right? And I wanted, yeah, I wanted things to be nice. And I thought that that was going to be the way it was going to be. Mm. But there's a lot of really rough stories. Like there's a lot of, it, it's it's showing a rough life, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, where, where people do terrible things and, mm-hmm. and people have to make hard choices. Mm-hmm. And again, this is not me saying that like anyone should go and kill their kid because they think God is telling them to do that. But sometimes we have to make extremely hard choices. <laughs> and sometimes we have mm-hmm. to make sacrifices that seem unfathomable Mm. right that that's the way i can make meaning from this yeah and just because you (laughs) and you know just because you believe in god doesn't mean that your life is going to be roses and tulips and blah right (laughs) somebody said that to me one time we were i was with a group of friends and we had walked past saint cecilia Mm. and uh, i said yeah that's my church and um he said, oh, religion, you know, it's basically it's the opiate for the masses. Right. And I said, <laughs> listen, if religion is an opiate for you. Right. If if <laughs> if you're practicing religion and feeling good and feeling like everything's fine, odds are 
you're doing it wrong. Right? <laughs> like, <laughs> you well, I hate may to break need it to you. Yeah, but... I hate to break it to you, but you may need to re-examine how you're practicing <laughs> this so-called religion. Because, yeah, no. I think if you're doing religion right, you're going to be as discomfited as often <laughs> as you are comforted. You know? Yeah. Next season on It's in the Book, Rebecca and Isaac. Hello, hello, Jay here. Thank you again so much for joining us in this season finale, The Binding of Isaac. I hope that you got something out of this season, out of this episode. I have really enjoyed making them. I have found it much more challenging than I thought in some ways, but overall, I feel like I know this book a little bit better now, and I have some ideas about what I wanna do going forward next year when we come back. As we've said multiple times, we will be taking this summer off. Sue and I need to have our baby. David needs to go and work as a chaplain in the hospital. And just in general, we need to figure out how we want this next season to look. Also, Beloved King, a queer Bible musical is gonna move forward again. That's my musical project. It's a full-length musical based on King David, the young King David in the Book of Samuel and his relationship with Prince Jonathan. You can find out more about it at BelovedKingMusical.com. We've been using this year to work on an EP of six of the songs. They sound amazing so far. They'll be coming out in the fall. And we're also very hopeful that with continued support this year, we're actually going to be able to finally put it on stage where it belongs. So please uh, find BelovedKingMusical.com if you're interested, or follow us on Instagram at BelovedKingMusical. You can also follow me on Instagram, j.sylvan.themself. And if you want to support my work, our work, you can find me on Patreon at patreon.com slash jsylvan. We have a few cool tiers on there, including some behind-the-scenes stuff on Beloved King and a monthly Bible study. Finally, don't forget to subscribe to the show if you haven't already on your favorite uh, platform, and please please rate and review it on your favorite platform. That is really going to help it. Thank you again so much. I've really loved doing this. I've loved hearing what you all have to say. I really look forward to what we can do together next year. Bye. <laughs>